Power Move Parker here on episode 19. I have a reunion episode with Reed Graff. A lot of things with the Houston Astros are going on and a lot of things in the world in general right now. It's kind of a sensitive time to be an American, but I do want to talk a lot about the Astros this episode because that is something that is fun. That is something that we can kind of bury ourselves into for now, at least sports-wise. And uh, if you're a fan of the Houston Astros, i got to say, this is a great time. This is a renaissance for Astros baseball. This is the best time to be an Astros fan in the history of the Houston Astros franchise. And they are on pace, and I think they are the favorite to even, and not just me saying this this time. I mean, I've seen ESPN. I've seen other things say MLB Network. Since they've landed Zach Greinke, who pitches tonight, I think they are the favorite to win it all. And I think uh, Reed Graff agrees with me. I go to an interview with him I did on Sunday. And uh, getting ready for Zach Greinke tonight, there's a lot of things we talk about. We talk about um, the other picks that we got as well, not just Zach Greinke. We talk about the players we've lost. We talk about development. We talk about uh, some umpire stuff. It's all in there. It's a great... A 30-minute clip, so without further ado, here it is. This is Power Move Parker here, but this is also kind of a throwback episode to the 1203 experience. I'm here with my buddy Reed Graff. He's chilling in Snyder, Texas right now. There is so much Astros news going on that I just had to call Reed up and get him get him on the phone line because right now, I mean... With the acquisition of Zach Greinke, with the players they've given up, with the other additions coming in, and all this just mayhem kind of happening with the Houston Astros and all this drama going on, I had to get Reed on the phone. So, Reed, are you there? I am here, Parker. How about how are you? I'm doing good, man. But I just like I said earlier, man, I had to get you. I had to get you in on this. So so far, man, just breaking it down right out of the bat because you have to kind of lead with this. Zach Grinky is a Houston Astro. When you heard that, what was your initial reaction? We'll get into the prospects a little bit later, but Zach Grinky, a Houston Astro, I think it's a World Series on lock, if you ask me. But what about you? I mean, they're, they're definitely going for it. So, I mean, so when, when the news broke out, I was heading to the high school here in Snyder to interview the head coach um, for a story I was working on. And then, you know, I get an update on my phone, Zach Grinky to Astros, and I'm like, wait, that's too much to process. I'm trying to go interview this football coach, and the Astros are out here making franchise-changing moves. Um, no, I think it's a very similar situation to when we landed Justin Verlander. Yes. Um, I, I think what a lot of people fail to realize, uh, specifically Astros fans, Zach Greenke is just as big a deal as Justin Verlander. Mm-hmm. I mean, he really is. He's been in the league for a long, long time. He's a Cy Young winner. Um, there was a time in Major League Baseball where Justin Verlander and Zach Greinke were kind of in a battle for number one pitcher in baseball. Yeah. So that's something you have to keep in mind when you when you talk about a guy like Zach. Like, this is a big move, like, huge move. Yes. And, and, I, and I think, like you said, it, it, it's World Series or bust at this point. You don't make a move like this. You don't eat this much of a contract. And basically give up on any chance of signing Garrett Cole at the end of the season if you don't think you can win the big one. So, um, I mean, it gives us the best one, two, one, two, three, one, two, three punch, really. Uh, you know what? One, two, three, four. I got to give my boy Miley some respect. Dude's been lights out, but um, it gives you the best rotation in baseball. I mean, I think the only one that's even close is New York Mets. Uh, by the way, that Stroman trade was weird. I don't. 
yeah. you know, what they were doing there. But that, that's that's just a weird situation. I, I don't know how they went from the biggest sellers on the market to trading for Marcus Stroman. And yeah. it's, I don't know. Weird I don't know. Situation was, there in, weird was, situation there in New York. It was kind of uh, weird. I'll tell that you. was weird. I, I don't. Uh, I think they're set. I think they think they have a chance at twenty twenty. Uh, we could do a Mets whole podcast because there's a lot going on there in New York. <laughs> the but. Mets, yeah, I know. We definitely could dive into that, but I'm you telling really you, could, but. I, I'm telling you what, man. Though, okay, so the, so they get Grinky, and it, it's cool, and everything's going on. But there's also other pickups they got with Aaron Sanchez and Joe Biagini, however you say that name. You know, my favorite guy is. Be a genie, however you say that, because he's a comedian. Have you been listening to his interviews oh, and stuff uh, he, he's he done is, with the press conferences? He is a hoot. I mean, do you think he ever got his therapy puppies? Yeah. I love, he goes, He goes. he's straight swinging for the fences as soon as he gets here. He's like, they promised me therapy puppies. I didn't get it. Uh, last night like, he was... He's like, I've been listening for barks in the back and I haven't heard it. <laughs> or he, the, the whole bit about how they messed up a handshake in the shower and Green Cage is looks so uncomfortable, I, I'm all for it, man. Well, it's funny, because you got Grinky on one side of the thing, and then Be a Genie, he's over there, and he's just goofing off, and Grinky, I think he is a little bit shy, and he kind of has his... Uh, I mean, his, he's straight his, business. ...his nature about him, which is fine, and but I think I think Joe Be a Genie, he's going to fit in great in the locker room. I saw after, you know, he was part of that that no-hitter with Sanchez, Will Harris, Be a Genie, and then you had Chris Davinsky come in, your boy Devo, come in and close it out. There's been a lot of controversy about, oh, you know, you, you have a combined no-hitter. It's not really – it doesn't feel like a no-hitter. It's combined, whatever, yada, yada, yada. I think a combined no-hitter is even more difficult than a pitcher just getting in a rhythm and going all the way through. What are your thoughts on that? Because to me, a combined no-hitter, you have to warm up in the bullpen. You know you're going out there. It seems like there's a lot of pressure on you as a reliever. Well, so here's the thing. I mean – one thing you have to keep in mind is it's against the Seattle Mariners, That's who true. are just dirt poor this year. I mean, they've got two or three pretty decent bats, and uh, Domingo Santana, a former Astro, and uh, Dan- Daniel Vogelback. Both guys are, can really crush it. Yeah, I like but, I mean, But on the other side of the coin, Domingo Santana leads the league in strikeouts. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, so it, it, it's – I don't want to say there's an asterisk because people still – praise uh, Matt Kane for his perfect game against the Astros when our best hitter was Brian Bogusevic. So mm-hmm. if they get to praise that, we get to praise this. But um, you know what I'm saying? But no, I mean, I think as far as what's more impressive, I still think, you know, an outing like where Mike Fires throws 140 pitches, that, that's got to be more impressive than four guys. But there is still challenge there. I mean, it, it, it's not easy to come out of the bullpen and just be lights out like that, um, especially when it's your first appearance with the team. I mean, you've yeah. never pitched in the, in that stadium. You've never pitched with that defense behind you. You don't. You know, you know what I mean? You don't know the dimensions of the park. Like, uh, it, it's still hard to do. So, and that's another thing I want to dive into. The Toronto Blue Jays got absolutely fleeced by Jeff by Jeff Luno. I yes. mean, let's, highway robbery. Let's dive in. Let's dive into that. That that. Uh... That that little bit because didn't did we send them uh did did we send Derek Fisher over there who did they end up getting so we sent Derek Fisher for Joe Biagini and Aaron Sanchez yeah now I love Derek Fisher I think oh, Derek yeah, Fisher but still has the tools to be very very good but he hasn't put it together yet I mean he's just he's already like twenty six years old 
I mean, don't get me wrong, he brings elite speed. I see why the Blue Jays are have interest in him, but to give up a guy that was in the Cy Young contention two years ago and then a pretty solid reliever that has one of the highest spin rates, which they have – the Blue Jays have to be aware of that, and they have to know the Astros are aware of that as well because mm-hmm. the Astros value that so highly. Um, and, and Aaron Sanchez is another guy that has that high spin rate. And, I mean, I saw something when he was pitching – so he's a thing. He, he throws about 96 to 100, um, but he's a sinker baller. His best pitch is a sinker, or so he thought. Uh, does that sound familiar? Charlie Morton was yeah. a sinker baller that threw really, really hard. They bring him to Houston. They teach him instead of attacking the bottom of the zone, trying to get contact, use your power and attack high. Well, his first outing with the Houston Astros, he did just that. He used his fastball. He used his curveball, which looked great. He attacked the top of the zone, and he was untouchable. So, like, I think like, – I saw a tweet. I don't know who it was, but it said, if the Houston Astros call you about a player on your team that is underperforming and they have interest, hang up and figure out what you're not seeing because clearly <laughs> they know something you don't. Yeah, they're study, They're doing something right, and they're studying the film. And uh, Jeff Lunau was on MLB Network and talking about what they look at and things of that nature, and he was saying – Listen, guys, it's fun. It's all fun and games. We get guys like Grinky, we get Sanchez, we get all these guys, but we have to give up. And he was talking about down the road how kind of sad it was, how bittersweet it was to give up players like Seth Beer, uh, Derek Fisher, things like that. What are your? Th- I know you 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 study those guys a lot more than most people. What are your thoughts on the guys that the Houston Astros gave up the other side of the coin? Because obviously. Those are players that could end up being very good MLB players in the future. Right. I mean, so the only guy out of the four guys that they gave up that I think could really be elite um, is Seth Beer. Yeah. And, and the thing about Seth Beer, though, so Seth Beer is going to probably hit 30 home runs in a major league season when he gets to the major league. Mm-hmm. Um, he's just shown ever since the Astros drafted him, he's never hit below 300 at any level in the minor leagues. He has like already like 28 homers this year, but the thing about him is he um, he's very limited. I mean, he doesn't move very well. He's apparently a pretty solid first baseman, but I mean, they, his I'm looking. I've got his prospect page pulled up. He's rated on a 20 to 80 scale with a 20 speed rating and a 40 fielding. So clearly, his bat is going to is going to carry him. So I don't think he has any value outside of the American League just because. You know, he's, he's a DH. That's what he is. Mm-hmm. Um, does that sound familiar? I mean, the Houston Astros already have the exact prospect, except yeah. for he's at the major league level. Named yeah. Jordan Alvarez, he's tearing it up. Exactly. So, Seth Beer has no place with the Houston Astros. Um, so, while I think Seth Beer is going to be a pretty good major leaguer, there was just no place for him in Houston. It's simple as that. Uh, so, it doesn't hurt him as much. Now, that the pitchers they gave up hurts a little bit more. Corbin Martin... Um, you know, he had Tommy John, uh, and he did. He wasn't great in his first few outings in the major leagues, but you know th- there was something there. Uh, and he's a college arm; he's going to be solid. He- he's going to be at least a three to four rotation guy. And then Jamie Buskowskis is probably more of a reliever, but he's got just a power slider. I mean, just knockout slider. And when when he is on, he's dominant. So I mean, JV's probably a closer type guy, and you know bullpen arms that good are kind of hard to come across. So. You know, the, the, those arms hurt, you know, and pitching is so valuable in baseball. Um, but that also means that Jeff Luno has a lot of trust in the arms already in the Astros system, guys like Brian Abreu, Tyler Ivey. Um, but, I mean, another thing to mention while we're talking about prospects, 
The Astros in the past three seasons have added Garrett Cole, Justin Verlander, and yeah. Zach Green. Wow. And in that time, they were able to make all three of those trades without losing Kyle Tucker, Jordan Alvarez, or Forrest Whitley. Think about that. How that is that, ridiculous. How does that even – it really is. And and the way you just hear Jeff Jeff Luno talk about that kind of stuff, it's just, it's just so casual and just like, you know, it's another day at the office for him because he's just – He's just pulling moves left and right, but he's, he was it was definitely a pretty cool interview with him, and it made me think about how you think about the players and stuff and uh, them leaving. Of course it's sad, but, you know, sometimes players go away and then they make their way back, and that's what I'm talking about with Martin Maldonado. You know, he was with us last year, had him. Uh, he went off to Chicago. We had to get rid of Tony Kemp, which I want you to talk about that a little bit because it was kind of sad for me to see Tony Kemp go. But at the same time, talk about the impact of bringing in Martin Maldonado, who, you know, he can he can come up in big situations and get good key hits. But really, he's the machete. He's known for his defense. He's it's one, defense. He's one right. of the best defensive catchers in the game today. What's it like having a guy like that who really could be a starting catcher for, you know, about 20 teams in this league? Right. I mean, we've already seen where that trade's been valuable because as soon as he got here, Robinson Trinos with the IL. Yeah. So... That makes me think Srinos was already struggling with something. So uh, Jeff Luno wanted a guy that already knew the system so that the pitchers didn't have to learn him. And I, as much as I loved the staff, he just wasn't cutting it, mm-hmm. um, both offensively and defensively. Uh, so you bring in Martin Maldonado, you can give – I don't think Robin Srinos was necessarily injured so bad that we're like he couldn't play. Um, it's probably something he's been dealing with for a little while and mm-hmm. just didn't, you know, didn't want to take him out because he's the number one catcher he in. But getting Martin Maldonado gives them that luxury where they can give Trinos a Because I don't know if you've noticed, Trinos was a really good player for most of the season up until the last month. Oh, which makes he, me Which yeah. makes me think he's been dealing with something. It was definitely, um, yeah, they said something with his shoulder or something like that. But when he, right. he, he, he was, you're right, he, he doesn't look the same. He's actually been hitting the ball pretty well for us, which surprised me. Because Rangers fans said, oh, you can have this guy, you can have this guy. He's kind of up and down. Well, for us, Torinos has been pretty much up most of the season. Up until the past month or so, and that's why I think he might have been struggling with this longer than, you know, just yesterday before he went on the IL. So um, I think that's another reason they went for Maldonado. But, I mean, having two pretty solid catchers in the playoffs is a luxury. And Martin Maldonado is considered one of the best defensive catchers in all of baseball. Um, and, And obviously when you get to the playoffs, base runners are important. And if you can keep them off the base pass, that's valuable, and Martin Maldonado has a nickname, Machete, for throwing out base runners. Mm-hmm. Um, what, and, and he already knows like half the pitching staff, if not more. Uh, and you could see as soon as he got here, too, how much he loved being in Houston. So, um, yeah. it, it, it's, a, it's a move that made a lot of sense. Uh, we, and, I mean, as much as I love Tony Kemp, he's another guy that just isn't, didn't really have a spot on the roster. I mean, mm-hmm. it, it's kind of a good problem to have when you have so many, so much talent that you kind of have to get rid of pretty decent players yeah um so i wish all the best to tony kemp i i I think chicago's a good place for him that's a good place for him to land chicago's got a good group of players and i think the fans there will appreciate what tony what will appreciate tony kemp at least somewhat as much as houston did because i know astros fans were pretty upset that tony kemp was gone yeah Um, kind of kind of a bittersweet he was he was i guess more just kind of a a pause like the Astros have so many guys like this and I was just talking to you know some people about this the other day as far as the locker room goes as far as the clubhouse goes 
Um, I mean, Tony Kemp was a big part. Like, you know, he was a pretty big part of that with the hugs for homers and things like that. But the Astros have so many just positive, just fun-loving guys. If you're a baseball player, and Joe Biagini kind of hinted at this, he's like, if you're a baseball player and you're just now starting out in the league right now, what other team would you want to go to besides Houston? Because is there any team out there that has as much fun as the Houston Astros have? Well, not only that, but if you're a pitcher, I am telling my agent, get me to Houston. Yeah. Because the the Houston Astros know something about pitching that nobody else has figured out. I mean, the guys come here, and, and it's not so much that they just magically start pitching better. They completely change their mindset. I mean, like Aaron Sanchez is a prime example. Like I said, they had him as a sinker baller, keep everything low, you know, pitch to contact. He gets to Houston, and Brent Strom says, hey, bud. You throw 100 miles an hour, hour, then you have a swipe, you have a, you know, a knockout curveball. Let's use that. Attack the top of the zone, you know, and then break it off. That's exactly what he did, and he's been he, he looked great yesterday. So, um, yeah. you know, if I'm a pitcher specifically, I'd love to be in Houston. But no, I mean, just the the general, like you can just see how much fun these guys have. They're always smiling. Um, I, thought, I mean, when Jordan homered yesterday, he came into the dugout. And, and him and Jim George Springer did like this jumping high five, and uh, and those are you <laughs> yeah. know those are guys. George Springer is is a, is, a, is a white guy from U. I guess he's probably half, right? Yeah, but, he, I, mean, I he's, think he's half. He, but he's from UConn. He's like thirty years old. And then Jordan Alvarez is this twenty-one year old from Cuba, and, and those guys are buddies. Where like, else that, just, that doesn't happen in other clubhouses? Where else you know would that happen? Yeah, exactly. It's such a it's such a diverse clubhouse. I mean, you got Josh Reddick, who's pretty much as redneck as it gets, and then you have, you know, Jose Altuve and Carlos Correa and players like that. It's just, it's a fun mix of guys, and, uh, you know, you throw Bregman in there, too. It's just, it, it really is fun to watch, but you went back to that Aaron Sanchez thing, and I do kind of want to circle around this, because I do have a bone to pick with the Astros fans, and I know you do, too. First off, there were Astros fans doing the wave in the eighth inning, in the ninth oh, inning. There was a combined no-hitter going on. They were doing the wave. And also, when I know how you feel about that. I want you to break that down first, but also I want I to talk but also I want to talk about after that. There were there were fans literally in the ninth inning leaving the stadium and Garrett Cole talked about it too. He was tweeting it or he wasn't tweeting it out, but he was interviewed. There were fans leaving the stadium and there were fans doing the wave on a World Series caliber team. And a combined no-hitter, I mean, as a fan, how do you not stay to the end and how do you not pay attention to the game that's going on? I mean, so I'm going to play, I'm going to defend them a little bit and then I'm going to attack, but I'm okay. to defend first. Take your time, um, take time. To be fair, it was a 9 to nothing game. It was the fourth pitcher, so to the average fan that's not paying super close attention like you and I do at baseball games, yeah. you know. They don't. They don't see the big zero on the scoreboard and realize that's a big idea. If it, if it was still Aaron Sanchez in the eighth, ninth inning, they would have stayed. They'd yeah. be like, "Oh, it's the same guy." Yeah. They would be paying attention. Um, you know, when you go to four different relievers, I can see how the average fan would miss that. Um, but the wave is inexcusable. That go do that crap at a football game. I mean, yeah. this is baseball. Come on now. Um, especially in the eighth inning when your team is throwing a no hitter. Um, disappointed in Astros fans. You typically don't let me down. Uh, as far as your game day environment, but you let me down yesterday. Um, and, and the fact that Garrett Cole had to say something is sad because Garrett Cole, like, is probably going to leave. So let's make him enjoy Houston. Yeah. And just maybe he'll take a price cut. He won't. But just maybe, <laughs> uh, you know. Um, 
By the way, I was just seeing Joe Biagini is 6'5". I did not realize he was that big. I didn't either. When I looked at him, you know, another another funny thing he said during when he was getting interviewed, the back to Biagini, he was saying, well, uh, Julio Morales was talking about uh, just, you know, asking him questions about being part of the no-hitter, and he's like, yeah, you know, coming in, helping out a team. And then uh, she said, well, she said, well, thanks for your time. And then he just kind of stopped and stared at her and said, Julia, thanks for such a great interview. And just walked off. To me, that's, kind of, <laughs> that's a little... He's not used to actually being interviewed by good interviewers. Like, yeah. he's really good. He was, he was like... take her for granted. He was just like... He was just looking at her and he was just like so impressed. Just You could see it in his eyes. He was just, Julia... Thanks for such a great interview, and I'm like. They should just interview him every day. I, I, I really do. It. I wish they would. And he's like Pat McAfee. In. Once the season's over, go have a comedy special in Houston. We'll all go. I would support that. I would support that. He was, I would go. He was if, also he talking about. Uh, he was go. also talking about other things with uh, when when they were talking about like the weather in Houston. He's like, I didn't know it would be this cold in Houston. It's because the stadium was closed, and it's an indoor stadium, Joe. That's why it's cold. So he was, he <laughs> yeah, was just, go outside. Yeah. You'll hit the 100-degree weather. Yeah, it was just I, – I, I still do think he would. he's going to fit in nice here. But I do want to – so back to the other thing, other side of it was uh, – so Aaron Sanchez, he's pitching great. Through the sixth inning, a no-hitter. He's at about 90 pitches, which isn't ideal, but he could still probably go the distance. What do you think of A.J. Hinch pulling him in the sixth inning when he does have a no-hitter going? Right. I mean, so he's at like 95 pitches, um, and, and he hasn't really been a starter all season long. He's pitched out of the bullpen some, so he's probably not as stretched out. I mean, I've got see he's got 118 innings pitched here. Um, I mean, if he's in the sixth inning, he's already got 90 pitches. That, that's high. I mean, yeah. when you're talking Mike Fires, I mean, Mike Fires, when he throws new, when he threw his no hitter for Houston, it was right before the All Star break, so they could just sit him. Um, yeah. You know, uh, Aaron Sanchez, they want him to be part of the rotation. The rotation's a little thin right now. Uh, I know Brad Peacock's kind of working his way back, and the queue has struggled, so they can't really afford for Sanchez to miss his next start. You know, if they could just say, "Hey, take your next start off," um, they probably would have pitched him more. Uh, something to keep in mind. I mean, as much as you know, you want to just see this guy throw a no hitter. At the same time, A.J. Hinch has a team to manage, and he's got a rotation to keep intact. So um, that's something to keep in mind. Um, this is also his first start with Houston, so Houston probably doesn't know, uh, you know, kind of how he works very well. They don't know what his kind of length is, I guess. Another thing I noticed, he kept looking at his finger near the end of the start. I'm thinking he might have had a little blister or something and they didn't want to risk it getting bad. I know that's something that Sanchez has issues with. Um, so, I mean, it made sense to not pitch him anymore. Well, I didn't know the baseball fan in me like, you got to let the guy throw the no-hitter. Uh, from a strategic and managerial standpoint, it wouldn't have made sense to leave him in much longer. Yeah, I guess, you're, I, guess I could see that side of it. When I step back and actually look at the reasons behind things, I guess I can, I guess I can understand it. But, hey... There's still one more ba- overall overarching baseball thing I want to talk about. And, you know, I, I, I will admit, uh, uh, Jess called me out on this when I talked about the drones, like the drones taking over, and I think you did too, about there being drones. I just found it funny, man. That's all it was. I... <laughs> well, you know, the drones, man. But anyway, so, you know, there's drones. Everyone's using drones and everything. But there's also 
another side of this that I just saw an article uh, not that long ago about uh, there's something going on in the Atlantic League with the introduction of an automated strike zone. And they said if the experiment goes well, the days of players imploring umps to schedule an eye exam could soon come to an end. First off, I know I said I know I was talking about the drones and everything, but now I'm gonna flip flop back because I have the right to do that. I'm flipping, I'm flipping, I'm doing a 180, and I'm saying I think human, as much as you hate the umps, I think human error is just a part of the game. If the ump makes a bad call, that's just kind of how it goes. How do you feel about the automated strike zone and if that potentially becomes a thing where basically you don't really even need umpires at all almost? Yeah, well, so first, let, let me, I read that exact article because we ran it in the paper here in Snyder. Cool. Um, so, so i got to clarify real quick. Um, so the way they were doing it was they had an umpire behind home plate who had an earbud in, and then they were using, like, some kind of AI system that would immediately, you know, tell, it was, it would tell if it was a ball or strike, they'd relay it to the umpire, and then he'd make the call. Okay. Um, and then, and then, if it was close or he felt something really different, he still had the right to make it his own judgment call. Um, so okay. it wasn't completely just robot, you know, strikes, falling. That wasn't exactly how it was. Um, but I still, I, I'm with you. I think human, I think just an umpire in general is just part of the game. It's been a part of the game for so long. Um, I just, it just feels like the game would be completely different without it. Personally, yeah. um, I think. Pitching to get the call is part of pitching, and if you take that away, I mean, yeah. look at, guys like Dallas Keuchel would not have a job if umpires didn't have a say in the game. If that makes sense, yeah. Dallas Keuchel lives off pitching the pitching the corners, finding where the strike zone is, and then exploiting it. That's just kind of how it is. And that's an now, art. That's an art. On that's the other skill. side of that coin, umpires need to be held more accountable. We have some pretty crap umpires in the major leagues right now, and. Uh, Guys like Angel was Angel Hernandez and yeah. the, the the random dude with the ego problem that the Astros <laughs> had a few months ago. Like, oh man! Um, like there's got to be more accountability for the major league umpires. Um, but taking umpires out completely and using robots to call the strike zone, unless they can come up with a much more efficient method, efficient method than the guy with an earbud in, um, I'm not for it. Well, speaking of controversy, though, I think going on to what happened to Josh Reddick a couple uh, days ago where he got ejected and really he wasn't even looking at the umpire. He was kind of walking off. He put his helmet down. He threw his gloves kind of behind him and then all of a sudden he got ejected and he didn't even know he was ejected until he got halfway to the dugout and then everyone was like told him, hey dude, you got ejected and then he flipped out. But to me, the umpire was staring at Reddick the whole time it's almost like he had a, you know, he just had it in him that he just wanted to eject Reddick so bad because he was making some pretty questionable calls. And so he stared him down, and then as soon as Reddick made one mistake, I guess, where he threw his gloves down, the guy ejected him. As an umpire, do you feel you should have the right to just stare people down like that? No, no, I have to, I have to admit, um, be, be honest, I did not see that game. Okay. I didn't see this clip, but I read about it. Um, and I know that the reason he, the umpire threw him, or like the reason he gave anyway, was that he said that that Reddick threw his gloves at him. Oh. Um, I did. I didn't see the clip, so I don't know. Okay. Um, but I, that that I mean, unless Reddick like clearly 
stands up and chunks that him. Which didn't happen, um, yeah. I don't, I, I don't think an umpire should be able to make that call on judgment like that uh, as far as, you know, ejecting a player or not. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, this has been an issue in the past with umpires who have an ego problem and think they're the ones in charge. Buddy, we're not here to watch you call a game. We're here to watch these guys play baseball. Exactly. So, you know, we don't give it. We don't give, you know, we don't give a crap what your opinion is. You know, yeah, you made the wrong call. Let him. And that, while the player doesn't have the right to scream in your face and act like a child, which Reddick does sometimes. Sometimes. Let's be honest. Sometimes. Um, it, it's still like my. It, you're not. We're not there to watch the umpires call guys out. You know, people pay tickets to watch Josh Reddick play baseball. So you throwing him out because he's a little upset over the call and he throws his gloves down. Which players always do. They put the they put the gloves down and everything so that the bat boy can come pick it up. Uh, you know, it's not like it's anything un, like it's not like it's something out of the ordinary. And I'm mm-hmm. sure again, I didn't see the clip, but I'm sure I'm sure Reddy well, did it with a little bit of. I do, I know. do advise you to see the clip because to me it's hard because his back was turned when he threw the gloves down. So for me, it's hard to say he threw it at the umpire when his back was turned to the umpire trying to turn away. So. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Whether whether he threw it at him or not, I mean, uh, the fact that he got thrown with his back turned to him is is is, is pretty bad. I mean, that that, yeah. that doesn't make sense. Like, yeah. the guy's walking away from you. Like, just let him, let him, let him vent yeah. a little bit. That was my like problem. Said, unless Reddick clearly like turned and threw the, the gloves at him, I don't really see a reason for there being. I'm pulling up the clip right now. Yeah. So. Please do, because I do want you to have the kind of the same. Because to me, from what I've gathered, his back was turned. He threw him down behind him. And, like, for me, that's just kind of like, come on now. Like, you're really – it reminded me of the Rangers game when the umpire was staring down A.J. Hinch. And A.J. was like, dude, watch the game. Why, why are you staring us down? Are you looking for us to make a mistake? Like, that's not how you should go into a game umpiring. You know what I mean? Right. I mean, so Reddick clearly um, was upset and, and, and clearly kind of uh, was trying was kind of trying to 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 stand up the umpire. Um, now the gloves thing. So here's the glove toss. To be honest, to me, it looks like he's throwing it towards his equipment. Yeah. Uh, and not towards the umpire. So that's one of those judgment calls. The umpire decided. I mean, he was looking for Reddick to do something that he could throw him out on. That's what it is. Yeah. I mean, let's be honest. He, he didn't like the way Reddick kind of stood him up, so he just needed Reddick to do something that he had a reason to call, you know, to throw him out on. So, I don't know. It's kind of 50-50. Reddick should not have behaved like that, no matter how upset he was. But that's a pretty pish-posh thing to throw a guy out on. Well, Reed, I appreciate you calling in. We definitely had a really good conversation is there anything else you want to hit on before I let you go? Um, not in particular, man. I mean, I'm just ready for another World Series run. I'm looking forward to October. That's well, going to be a lot of fun. In October, or whenever the parade is, you're going to have to come down, and we're going to have to hit up the uh, the downtown Houston together. Hey, if I can't make it to a World Series game this year because Jeff and I want to go, we'll mm-hmm. definitely come to the parade. How about that? All right, man. Well, you know I'm I'm right here. I'm right across the I'm right across. So, just whenever you're in the area, just let me know. I'd, I'd love to hang out with you guys. Absolutely. Hey, keep doing what you're doing, man. I, I wish I could get my own podcast going. I just don't really have the time nowadays, especially with football starting tomorrow. But 
uh, appreciate that you keep you're keeping it going, man. Yeah, that really does mean a lot. All right, man. I appreciate it, and I'll talk to you later. All right, take care, Parker. All right, I'm back, and I do want to start with some good news and some bad news as far as the Texans go. The Texans have contacted the Redskins about left tackle Trent Williams. And if you guys know who Trent Williams is, he play, he's on he was on the uh, or he's currently on the Washington Redskins. He's always the guy to kind of get in fights with Richard Sherman or whoever he's with. He's a very vocal guy. Um, you know, he's he's part of that. He's one of the best left tackles in the NFL, in my opinion, because you actually know his name. He makes headlines. If you're an offensive lineman and you're making headlines and people know your name, um, that's a good sign. So it takes me back to kind of Dwayne Brown. When the Texans had him, everyone kind of knew who Dwayne Brown was, and he was the one key factor, the key cog in that Texans offensive line. And now they had to obviously they got rid of him because he wanted more money, which they probably shouldn't have because he still had a lot of fire left, I think. But going to Trent Williams, he's everything the Texans need right now. He would spice up that offensive line right out of the gate, protect Deshaun Watson, who I think could have a breakout year. He's really just a season away from taking the lead by storm and putting his name in the MVP conversation because of his abilities and what he can do. He can run. He can pass. Um, he really does it all. And uh, it's not like he's a bad passer and a great runner. He's a great runner and a great passer. So he has all the intangibles. Can throw off the run. A really good off-schedule QB. Uh, maybe they need to design plays more that fit his style. I think Bill O'Brien could work on that. But other than that, Deshaun Watson has got the keys to uh, start this thing for the Texans. But he just needs an offensive line. He needs that grill guard. He needs those people protecting him. And Trent Williams would be a great fit. I don't know how they're going to get him because they don't have a GM. So I don't really know how it's going to work out. But uh, Trent Williams would really spice up that locker room and give it some, give that locker room some kind of firepower and some push, which uh, has kind of come from Lonnie Johnson Jr., the uh, cornerback out of Kentucky, the, the draft pick. I don't know what round they drafted him, but he has been kind of like they've been kind of doing joint practices with the Packers, and uh, he hit, he lit up a tight end and then started fights with the Packers, and he's really just shaking it up. So to have a cornerback who's feisty, who's going in there and laying the wood on big tight ends, that's exciting, and I really am excited. Obviously, Titus Howard with the. Uh, the first pick with the lineman, I think he's going to be all right. But Lonnie Johnson Jr. might low-key be another great Brian Gain pick. Who, guess what? We happen to fire, the Texans happen to fire Brian Gain. So it's coming out that Brian Gain has actually had a pretty solid draft from what I'm seeing. Not a great draft, but a good B, a B draft. And, uh... He, his picks are starting to rise to the ranks in summer camp and in practice and stuff. And Lonnie Johnson Jr. is another one of those guys that I think the Texans fans need to keep an eye out for because he is physical. Um, he is making a name for himself on the defensive end as far as laying big hits. And uh, he is able to run with people too. They're saying he can. he's a great cover guy as well. So he's kind of a combination. And he could easily be the number one cornerback um, if he keeps up on this right track, I mean, obviously the Texans still have Jonathan Joseph and everything, but with Joseph getting old, older, uh, Lonnie Johnson Jr. is refreshing, and then you have Justin Reed on the back end playing safety. They're starting to the, this defense is starting to kind of come together, develop, and things are starting to happen. 
Uh, defense, I'm a little still a little worried about, but not as much as I thought I would be. It really comes back to the number one concern for the Texans, which is offensive line. Now, if you look at uh, star power for the Texans and you go to the NFL Top 100 list, um, they had back-to-back Houston Texans on the NFL's Top 100 players list, and the first one was J.J. Watt. Now, of course, J.J. Watt, he came in at number 12. Um, for him to be top 20 at his age um, after his injuries on the NFL Top 100 list, which if you guys watch that every year like I do, Aaron Donald ended up getting number one. So that's the big guy that J.J. Uh, Watt is chasing. But even Aaron Donald said that he learned in that, in that kind of list. He, they videotaped Aaron Donald talking about uh, J.J., and he was saying, I learned so much from J.J. J.J.'s the guy who's kind of revolutionized the position. And so for Aaron Donald, who could probably be the best defensive lineman of all time with his skill, and especially, like, J.J.'s a defensive end. He does a lot of things on the end and the edge, and he's quick, and he, has, he uses his length and everything. Aaron Donald is kind of shorter, and he's a defensive tackle. He's an interior lineman, and he's throwing around uh, uh, offensive guards and centers, slicing through linemen like it's nothing. He's very quick off the ball. He's just an animal. And he's, and he's been compared to the Michael Jordan of, 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 of football, which, I mean, I don't know if you can do that because football is just so different than basketball. I don't know if you can actually have a Michael Jordan of football. But he may be the best player we have right now um, in football, and he obviously got number one. So that's a pretty big deal for – uh, Aaron Donald and the L.A. Rams, who just you know missed out on a Super Bowl ring, and they may eventually get a Super Bowl ring. I think Sean McVay's the guy. I like Jared Goff. I like Todd Gurley. Um, I don't I don't like like Jared Goff, but I think he can, he has enough weapons that he can get it done. And um, I like the the play calling from Sean McVay, and obviously that defense with Aaron Donald there, you're going to have a great disruptor at all times. It is very hard in football to start a play when the defensive tackle is pushing the center and guards back into the quarterback's lap. No matter how good your offense is, if your defensive lineman is getting that kind of penetration, um, as a football player, you know how valuable it is to block those defensive tackles. Because defensive tackles first, and then you you know when you're pass blocking, you look at the A gap, then you go to the B gap, then you go to the C gap. And so you kind of widen out, but you have to stop the A-gap first before you can even think about going out there and stopping the, the fast guys on the edge. So if the A-gap is just automatically getting penetration, then that just creates all sorts of problems in pass blocking and things like that. So there's just nothing – there really is no answer for Aaron Donald. You have to double-team him. Um, you can try to slow him down. He's quick. And he's learned a lot of moves from J.J. He plays like a perimeter guy because he's so quick, but he has the power of a defensive tackle. So he is really a rare combination, unlike a player um, I've ever seen. So J.J. Watt comes in behind him as a defensive guy. Um, He's at 12. J.J. Watt um, had a good season last year, was really honestly in the running with Aaron Donald as defensive player of the year. Didn't quite make it happen, but... Um, he had a good comeback season, and I think he's still got a lot of fire left in him from what I'm seeing as reports from camp. And, of course, number 11, right after him, the two players in the top 20 for the Texans, number 11 is going to be DeAndre Hopkins, Mr. 99 overall on Madden. Um, DeAndre Hopkins can do it all. I mean, there really is no stopping DeAndre Hopkins. Uh, he can catch anything, really. I don't need to say say 
what's good about DeAndre Hopkins. The only thing, the only thing, the negative coming out of the Texas camp right now is they released Deontay Foreman. There were reports saying that he didn't want to play on special teams, which I mean, I don't blame him. I don't think he's a special teams player, um, and he also just wasn't performing as well as people wanted him to in training camp and you know preseason all that stuff. So uh, I, I don't know, man. I think. Deontay Foreman, he was going to be a good backup for Lamar Miller. Right now, the Texans really just have Lamar Miller and a bunch of no-names right now. I mean, that's really what it comes down to. Because in the draft, I don't think they did very – I don't think they did really anything at running back in the draft. I could be wrong. You guys may want to double-check me. But I know they got like a fullback type player, but I don't know if they got anything as far as running back goes in this last draft. So them to get rid of – they already got rid of Alfred Blue. And they now they cut Deontay Foreman. Those are two running backs who are familiar with the system. And I'm telling you, running backs aren't like that valuable. You can still pick up a no-name running back and probably make him into something. But it just worries me that after Lamar Miller, there is a big fall-off as far as talent. And Deontay Foreman, in my opinion, he was the future back. He was the guy they were grooming. He was a big physical guy that could get you, you know, four, three or four yards a pop. He wasn't that breakaway speed type guy you see with Lamar Miller who can bust off big 80-yard, 90-yard runs. He didn't he didn't have that kind of uh, mobility or that kind of speed, but he did have the power, and he was, in my opinion, I thought he was a wrecking ball type running back that I like to see run the ball. I mean, I, I don't know who they're gonna I don't know who they're gonna pick up now. Uh, the name Chris Ivory, a veteran, has been floating around. They're gonna have to pick some old veteran up off the waivers. If they want to back up for Lamar Miller, because the thing about Lamar Miller is he's fast, and he's I love watching Lamar Miller run because he's fast, and he can bust one, he can catch out of the backfield, he can do a little bit of everything, but he's just not that big, and you hit him hard enough, he's going to go down, and he's, he's going to be down for weeks at a time, so he's just not that durable, so Lamar Miller... For uh, for that for that position, you need a backup. You can't have him as an ever down back because he's just not that type of guy. He's not built that way. He's a smaller back. He is fun to watch with his speed and quickness, and you know he's a lot like Tariq Cohen for Chicago. He has that he has that ability to break break away, but he's just not that big, and so you don't want to have him as an ever down back. That's why Deontay Foreman was so important. But now that he's gone, and I am really sad about it because they just drafted him a couple years ago. Um, I really thought he was going to be the guy coming in, but I guess I, I was wrong about that. And Bill O'Brien has other plans. Bill O'Brien seems to be gaining more and more power for the Texans. And I'm not a big fan of it because I don't think he's the answer. I really don't think giving Bill O'Brien more and more power is going to solve all the Texans' problems. So Deontay Foreman, he's gone. Uh, Texans trying to get Trent Williams, but I don't see how that's going to go. Um, there is some weird news out there. There is a model that married her dog after 220 failed dates with men. So, you know, I don't know why you go straight to bestiality after you're failing dates with men. Maybe you need to look at yourself and lower your standards or, I don't know, maybe you're dating just really jerky guys. But uh, 220 failed dates with men, I think if you're doing a progression... I don't know if I would go straight to dog, though. I think I would marry, um, you know, try to try try it with the same sex. Try try going to another woman. Try marrying a woman. Try being a lesbian. If you can't get with men, I wouldn't go straight to bestiality. That's a little bit extreme going straight to the dog. I'm not sure she has relations with the dog, but the fact that she's married to a dog is weird in my mind. 
and she gave up on men after 220 dates, but maybe she, maybe, maybe it is her fault when you look at yourself, because, you, you know, you can blame the 220 men, or you can blame yourself. And another weird thing I wanted to say was Victoria's Secret hires its first openly transgender model. So, I mean, that's not even as big as a shock as it should be because of the dog thing. And uh, I think she just wants to go, to go make drastic changes and marry a dog when really she just needs to reflect and look at herself. And I think that's what we need to do as a society. And I'm going to hit on something political real quick and then I'm going to get off. But there's a lot of stuff going on with the uh, Ohio shooter and the El Paso shooter and just gun violence in general is at an all-time high. Our nation is divided. And as soon as things like this happen, we have to point blame and all that stuff. But uh, I just don't see the point in blaming one side all in all and just completely piling on when both sides need work, uh, both sides of the political spectrum need work, when, but when society as a whole, we need work with how we treat people and how we talk to people. Because listen, um, no matter what our president says or tweets, he's not the one who pulled the trigger. The Republicans aren't the one who pulled the trigger. The liberals, the Democrats aren't the ones who pulled the trigger in Ohio. People need to understand that, yes, even, yes, we may, we may have um, a gun problem, but at the end of the day, we have, a, we have a lack of God problem, in my opinion. Now, in my humble opinion, I think it is the fact that we have removed God from everything and now we're starting to turn more and more to a godless society where, you know, you can just go around killing people. It doesn't really matter. Um, it's just a lot easier to just get in that headspace. And we're not really loving people and talking to people and treating people like human beings. A lot of these shooters, they look like kids that got picked on in high school a lot. Like they look like dwarf, like dorks and just losers, really. And, you know, obviously they did a bad thing and they deserve to be punished and killed on the spot. Honestly, I, that was my opinion. I would kill him on the spot, which is what I think someone with a gun would have done. They would have shot him on the spot. They should have. But um, he he was just he looked like a loser. He looked like a loser white guy, really. And so I don't know what his life was like. I don't know why he went to that place, but it seems to me like there just wasn't a lot of love going around wasn't a lot of God in his life and other people's lives able to show him that there is a bigger purpose, that he doesn't have to go around feeling this way about other people. And no matter what he says or does, you got to blame it. You got to, well, first off, you, I blame sometimes the people around him that treated him that way to get him to that point. But I also, you got to just blame him for what he did because he was the one who got to that place. He was the one who probably didn't reach out for help. And there's probably a lot of signs people can pay up, pay attention to. But at the end of the day, you gotta love others. You gotta love yourself. You gotta treat others with respect, and that's kind of what the Bible talks about: is just treating others better than you. And you gotta, you gotta really show love to others. So that's kind of what this nation has shot away from, ever. You know, for a while now, it's just been kind of slowly trickling down. But that's why these these shootings are just gonna get worse, in my opinion. And this this the crime and the rate of it is gonna get worse and worse and worse. And I don't know how to fix it. But I do think loving each other and bringing God back into things and bringing God back into the fold can help solve a lot of these problems. And just be cautious and be aware of your surroundings, really, people, in real life. And um, just be able to defend yourself no matter what because this is a crazy time we live in. And I, I just 
I just hate when people try to blame one side on it or blame the blame something else instead of the individual or the individual circumstance that were happening there. Those are what you need to blame instead of just trying to find a bigger person to blame. Um, it makes me mad when people kind of shift the blame on that. But anyway, that's my that's my opinion on it. Um, I know people are going to hate me for it because people are like, oh, well, you have to blame something big, right? But not all the time you do. Sometimes you just have to blame the person and the person's circumstances and what was going on in that person's life. That's what I look at, and that's what you should look at, too. Everything is different. Anyway, i got to go.